Suicide is a tough topic, but the Washington County Reach for Hope Suicide Prevention Coalition wants you to know that there is always hope. We are a caring community reaching out to provide compassion and hope for a community free of suicide. In the next half hour, we'll talk with community partners to identify risk factors, raise awareness, and discuss prevention strategies. Hello and welcome to another edition of Reach for Hope, where there's always hope. I'm Melissa Anderson. Now, whether we realize it or not, there is a lot of training that goes into how to respond to a crisis, especially when it comes to suicide prevention and mental health. First responders usually are play the biggest role when it comes to these types of emergencies. With me today to talk about the training and prevention by law enforcement and others is Officer William DeHart of the St. George Police Department. Welcome, Officer Will DeHart. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show today. Now, first of all, tell us what your role here is in the St. George Police Department. Uh, so I'm currently assigned to the patrol division, which is the typical offices you see out and about in the marked patrol cars, doing traffic stops, responding to calls for service. Uh, and that's the majority of our police department. That's roughly two-thirds of our police department is the is the patrol division. Uh, I'm also currently one of the CIT instructors, one of the mental health instructors at the St. George Police Department. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that here in a moment. But how have things changed over the years in law enforcement when it comes to responding to a crisis? Because they probably didn't have CIT back in the day. They, they didn't. I, I graduated from the academy in 2009 uh, in New Mexico and was working for a small rural county in New Mexico at the time. And it wasn't uncommon it, at that time, which wasn't that long ago, for a crisis call to come in and be treated as any other type of call. The dispatchers go through, well, is there a crime? Okay, there's no crime. You're just feeling suicidal. We can't respond to that. Or, or is there crime? Okay, well, then let's deploy the SWAT team because we have an individual with a firearm. And it was looked at as, as whether or not a crime had occurred to respond out. And there wasn't training for officers in, in crisis intervention, we were trained to respond to calls, determine if a crime had occurred, and take the appropriate action. Yeah. Um, and that's, unfortunately, was was not uncommon to happen. And it, it was out of no other reason than it, just a, a, a cultural understanding that's not against the law to kill yourself. And so there, it wasn't a criminal action. Well, it still isn't against the law. <laughs> it's still right? not against the law. <laughs> but it's, it's a necessitation of hope. Uh, and that's where I think that, that societal change has occurred, where where now law enforcement, we're the ones who are called. Everybody knows 911. Everybody knows when you're in trouble, you call 911. And whether or not we, we are trained for that, we're the ones who respond. And police officers have had to step into that role that nobody else really fills, and that role of, of responding to this person who's called for help. And it's no longer about determining whether or not there's a crime. It's determining how do we get the most positive outcome out of this, out of this, how do we find the most positive solution, the most positive outcome to this incident? Yeah, you're the first line of offense, defense, or whatever it is in in the, in, in an emergency. Uh, so when that emergency call goes out, then how do you determine how to respond, um, especially when it may concern the mental health? So uh, all of our calls come into, all of our calls in that one come into the same dispatch center, whether you're calling for an ambulance, a uh, a fire truck or a police department, it all comes through the same call center. And all of our dispatchers are actually trained in, in crisis intervention team techniques and have received CIT training. Uh, so they, we work closely with the 98 National Hotline as well. So our dispatchers have an emergency protocol flow sheet they go through where they ask them questions to determine, is this a mental health crisis? Is this a medical crisis? Is this a law enforcement crisis? 
Is this something that that is a combination of factors? Maybe it's a, a law, a mental health crisis, but there's a law enforcement need for it. There's a safety concern. There's a public safety issue. And maybe it's a, a mental health and a medical concern, and they can divert those sources accordingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of of what Dr. Todd Suter, who's the executive director of CIT Utah, says about crisis, and he, and he says that that crisis is really just when a person's emotions are greater than their capacity for the, for their. Uh, I don't want to get his quote wrong. Uh, a crisis is any event or situation in which the perceived difficulty exceeds someone pro- someone's problem-solving skills and, me- and coping mechanisms. A crisis could be very different for you than it is for me. Mm-hmm. And it can't be looked at as that, as that broad window of a crisis is a life-threatening issue. For the person who's calling, it's a crisis. It's something mm-hmm. they don't have the need, the means to deal with. Right. To deal with. Yeah. And so our, our, our dispatchers are, are excellent. We receive a lot of training in finding those appropriate resources, diverting to the SMR team or MCOT through Southwest Behavioral or the 988 hotline, or sometimes it's sending out law enforcement. Yeah, we keep talking about CIT, so I'd like to play a short video clip from the National Alliance of Mental Illness, or NAMI, that describes what CIT is and how the training has helped not only police officers, but others responding to uh, mental health crisis. Law enforcement officers are dedicated. Every day they put on a uniform and deal with everything from pesky kids on skateboards to bank heists. And while officers always strive to do their best, sometimes they encounter situations more suited for uh, social workers, like dealing with mental health crisis calls, which is why we have crisis intervention teams. CIT programs teach law enforcement officers how to safely de-escalate mental health crisis situations. In fact, law enforcement agencies that have CIT programs in place have reported as much as an 80% decrease in officer injuries during mental health crisis situations. Not only do CIT programs educate officers, they also bring together community members and mental health care providers to offer convenient options for treatment and to reduce the number of repeated calls for police service, saving officers value time. Take the next step in helping your community better respond to mental health crisis calls. Learn more about CIT programs by visiting nami.org/cit. So, how does your role uh, play into the training for the crisis intervention team that responds to calls that may relate to suicide? So, CIT is a, a community involved partnership. It's not just law enforcement. We work along with mental health workers. We work along with uh, the court services, along with Inner Mountain Health, um, with everybody in the community and public volunteers as well, crisis workers, hotline workers. And it, it we work together to find those avenues and those resources. Most of our officers are, are very well trained. They've been through the academy. They know how to respond to traffic offenses. They know how to respond to domestic violence instances. They know how to respond to uh, uh, retail theft. They don't always know how to respond to somebody in crisis. Mm -hmm. And that's where CIT comes in. Um, As I mentioned before, I'm one of the mental health and CIT instructors for the department. And I'm pretty new to the position, position, so I haven't had the opportunity to do much work with it. But one of the things I do is, is help with that academy and help train new officers in, in getting those CIT techniques um, and and helping them learn those tools and learn the ways to to identify that somebody's in crisis mm-hmm. and, and work through that 
through that crisis that's, so, that's going on. So the, is this a mandatory training? Does everybody take it, or how how do they do they sign it's, up? For it's it not a what? mandatory training. Um, I was. I was nominated for it by my supervisor. Uh, I have a bachelor's degree in psychology, um, so I had a little bit of baseline understanding for that. And CIT has a very, uh, very educational type approach. You go to classes on on clinical disorders, psychotropic medications, psychopharmacology, personality disorders, substance abuse, uh, co-occurring personality disorders, civil commitment, liability. It's not just finding out there's a problem. It's this person might be having a, a a panic attack. This person might be having a poor reaction to a controlled substance or a medication that they're on. Mm-hmm. It's identifying what type of crisis is going on, and there's different tools that are used for those different types of crisis. And how to deal and, with and, it. And how to deal with it, and the appropriate resolution. There are, unfortunately, some some cases where the only resolution is for that person to, to go to jail due to the actions and, and decisions that they've made. But the CIT training gives you those additional tools to be able to, to figure out what what that is. And and it's not mandatory. It's strongly encouraged in our department. Um, it's open to anybody who chooses to do so. St. George uh, hosts uh, CIT Academy every year uh, for anybody in the state that can attend. I actually recently went to a recertification at the Greater Zion Convention Center, and there were about 75 officers from all across the state that were there getting their, their recertification hours to keep it up. And how often do you have to go to that then? Uh, so... The certification lasts for four years. You have to have 16 hours of training over those four years, so roughly four hours of training a year, specifically towards towards CIT-related issues. And um, I would imagine that changes every year, and that's why you have to go get that recertification. Exactly, uh, and a lot of it is just keeping up the practice, it's just like CPR. Everybody probably learned CPR at some point in their mm-hmm. life, but could you be called upon to do CPR right now? It's not the same. No, it's a it's a it's a learned skill. It's something that you have to that you have to practice. And you have to. Uh, and you have to keep up on and being able to go and do that recertification and do some scenario work or just a refresher course on it helps you keep those I- ideas fresh on top of your mind and, and able to use them. Um, so you talked about how to uh, treat them once you figure out what where they need to go or, or where do you refer them to? How do you know where to go? I know that we have a new crisis uh, stabilization center that's going to be opening soon here in Washington County. Uh, in hurricane area, uh, tell us about that, and where does that fit into all of this? Besides go- taking them to the hospital or jail or where they go, so we have that's unfortunately an area where we have a much greater supply than we have a demand. The, the need for mental health services is is a lot greater than we can accommodate. Um, right now, we have some primary keys. The most utilized tool that we use is actually the Stabilization Mobile Response Team through Southwest Behavioral. Uh, it used to be called MCOT, the Mobile Crisis Outreach Team. Now it's SMR teams. Mm-hmm. And these are, are, are caseworkers, are licensed mental health professionals, clinical social workers who are trained in crisis response who can come out independently or with law enforcement to, to help through those crises. I've been on, on numerous calls where they've been able to come out and, and provide aid and provide services and training and, and, talk, and just talk to people and get them through those issues. Then, of course, there's the, the hospital, either the access center, uh, which is a, a, a behavioral support crisis rehabilitation center. Um, it's run by Intermountain Health. It's within the hospital. It's not part of the behavioral medicine. It's a separate volunteer facility. It's accessible, limited hours, limited bed space, and you can't be under the influence of, of controlled substances. But if you just need some help, if you mm-hmm. need to talk to somebody, if you need to get a safe place, it's a safe, monitored, secure area where you receive mental health 
then there's of course behavioral medication or the behavioral medicine wing of the hospital that if law enforcement is getting involved in that, then it's normally through an involuntary commitment. Somebody's taken enough steps to pose a, a substantial threat to themselves or somebody else, and they're not placed under arrest, but they are secured. Um, and essentially, similar to arrest, they're placed in the custody of the hospital for mental health evaluation for up to 72 hours to receive treatment, and then longer than that if deemed necessary. But again, those are all, are all limited that um, we've had instances, we've had times where we can't take somebody to access center because it's closed. We can't take somebody to be med because they don't have any beds available. Mm-hmm. We don't have anywhere to take these people other than jail. And that's not always the, the appropriate place for them to go. That's not always the, the best possible resolution. And the new crisis stabilization center is, is, is voluntary, right? It's voluntary, but it, it, it fills in that gap. It's somebody, if, if you might be having a substance abuse disorder coupled with a mental health crisis or coupled with some other type of crisis, and you, you don't want to hurt anybody else, but you need help, they can't take you to the access center because you're under the influence of a controlled substance, but you can go to the crisis stabilization center. You can go, you can be monitored by by medical and mental health professionals so you can safely detox, come down from whatever controlled substances you're on and receive the services that you need to stabilize yourself during that crisis. What do you do with youth? Youth, we have a couple of different options. Um, The Access Center isn't available for youth, but there's what's called the Crisis Center, which is uh, a similar concept to the Access Center. It's located adjacent to the Washington County Juvenile Detention Facility. Um, It's a it's a secure facility, in fact, that they're, they're juveniles, so they're, they can't freely leave, but it's not locked down. It's not part of the detention center. So uh, parents oftentimes get concerned that we're taking their kids to jail, and we're not. It's a safe place with professional mental health workers, caseworkers, counselors that can help those children and those juveniles get through that crisis. Uh, there's also several nonprofit area centers in the area. Uh, Youth Futures is a, is a safe uh, a safe environment. They, they call it a, a safe home. Safe place. Safe place, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and if you're homeless or if you're having issues at home or you just don't feel safe, it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. You can go in. They'll, they have food available. They have hygiene services. They have case management. They have therapy services available. They have life skills classes that are available. And again, it's not a secure facility. Those children can come and go. Those juveniles can come and go as they please. Um, but it is a safe place that's provided for them. Right. So um, it seems like there's a lot of support that's, that's out there, but sometimes it's too late. We just recently had a murder-suicide of an entire family in Enoch. Um, not a pleasant thing to talk about. But in that case, um, it appears that nobody really had a clue that this was coming up other than maybe some of the family members, and it was too late. What would what would have been the ideal situation in that to be able to help this gentleman who took the life of his wife and his uh, his mother-in-law and his five children? Uh, and it's a tough situation. Obviously, I don't know any more details than what, what's publicly available. It's, it's not through my agency, and it's not an incident of mine. So uh, I hope people aren't expecting that I have the key to the mystery because I, I don't. Um, but it is a very unfortunate situation. And the only person who can provide those answers is, isn't here anymore to be able to give us those answers. But uh, ideally, what I would hope to see is that somebody who reaches that point where they that's the only solution that they see, that's the only way they see to solve these problems, can find another avenue to solve the problems. Maybe if there was a, a crisis stabilization center available, 
and that person could have been taken away and spent 23, 24 hours a day separated, get some counseling services, talk to someone. Yes, it's not a, a secure facility. They wouldn't lose their freedom and be locked down, but it would give them an opportunity to separate themselves from, from the crisis and be, reach that stabilization. Maybe that would have helped. Maybe it wouldn't. It's hard to know, but that, I would like to think it would. Yeah. What other trainings then are, are do you believe are valuable in, uh, to law enforcement or even the general public for that matter uh, when it comes to mental health or prevention of suicide? So I think CIT training uh, is anybody who deals with individuals in, in crisis. If you're a healthcare worker, if you're a mental health worker, if you are uh, a management of a of an executive or a manager of any type of company where you deal with individuals and you and you come into contact with anyone who's going to be under crisis, law enforcement, dispatch, first responders, CIT is wonderful training. And the CIT Academy is open for anybody. You don't have to be a, a police officer. We've had dispatchers that have gone through. We've had corrections deputies. We've had firefighters. We've had paramedics. We've had um, c- citizens, civilians that, that come in and just want to learn a little bit more. You can reach out through CIT Utah. Uh, and it's cit-utah.com, and they have information on how to how to attend training and how you can you can help out, how you can donate, how you can receive training. It's a it's a fantastic training for everybody to give you a baseline. It, it's not going to make you a psychologist. It's not going to make you a caseworker, but it's going to give you more tools than the average person has to be able to deal with these issues. And then, of course, we have the QPR training that is that is taught through uh, Reach for Hope um, Suicide and, and, Prevention And the Coalition. QPR training is fantastic. I haven't been to it yet. Um, I'm, I'm working with with Teresa Willie on, on getting that that training, and that's something I hope to, to bring over to St. George Police and incorporate that along with our CIT training. Uh, QPR, of course, is um, question, persuade, persuade, and refer. And, refer. Mm-hmm. and it... it teaches people the skills to be a gatekeeper, to be able to identify if somebody is having a crisis and how to help that person get help, how to divert them and refer them to. So it's, it's not quite the same as a, as the CIT training. You're not going to get into understanding what is causing this person's crisis, but just recognizing this is someone who's, whose capacity to solve the problem is outweighed by the severity of the problem. So how do I, how do I help them? How do I, how do I divert this issue and, and hopefully save somebody's life? And it never helps to tell someone to calm down because that's almost the worst thing you can do. <laughs> no, it, it, it doesn't. One of the, and that's one of the triggers, the, the triggers that we talk about mm-hmm. in CIT training is, is calm down, calm down. Because that person who's in crisis can't be calm. If they could be calm, they wouldn't be in crisis. Right. Uh, if you get to that situation as the person responding, as a person in that crisis, what I found the best is just to take a couple of deep breaths. Get some oxygen supply going to your brain. Slow down. Give yourself time to think and let your emotions catch up to your brain. Right. Why do you think um, you're a member of the Reach for Hope Suicide Prevention Coalition? Um, Why do you think it's beneficial to your field of work to be involved in this? I think the the best aspect of it is um, just the the access to other people that are in this field. I'm not a caseworker. I'm not a psychologist. I don't do crisis intervention all day long, every day. That's that's not my job. I do it a lot more than I than I planned on getting into this profession. But it's it's not what I do, and it's not what I have training in. But I, through the Reach for Hope Coalition, I have access and contact with people who who do that every day, who have more skills, who have 
more training and more knowledge in those areas. It also gives me access to a lot of resources, a lot of programs and things that I didn't know about in Washington County. I've I've been a police officer here for more than five years, and I didn't know about a lot of these resources and a lot of the the help and the tools and the aid that we have out there. But all these people are involved in Reach for Hope, and they all come in and attend the meetings. Yeah, and it's important to know those tools and to have tools to cope when, when you're in crisis as well. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to add um, about the importance of being prepared to handle mental health crisis in the area? And is there anything that we need to change maybe at the at a higher level, at a legislative level? I know that um, the Live On campaign was brought in um, during our crisis during COVID to try to help people. But, you know, it seems like mental health is at the top of the conversation these days not just here, but all across the world. I mean, we're, we're seeing people who were locked down and were left, um, you know, isolated during that time. And it kind of does play a, a problem with your psyche. It's absolutely, it's not a, it's not a St. George problem or Washington County problem or a Utah problem. It's a mankind problem. It's a humanity problem. Everybody is struggling. Everybody's having a hard time. Uh, it doesn't matter what they put on Facebook or Instagram. Everybody struggles with something, mm-hmm. and everybody needs help at some time. And and it's a difficulty that we have in that it's not politically beneficial to spend money on mental health. It's not a it's not a talking point. It's not something that that gets argued about in in the halls of Congress, and it should be. Mm-hmm. It. it there should be no reason why somebody is refused mental health services because the beds are full or because they can't pay or because they live in an area where there's not established mental health care. Being mentally ill is not a crime. Needing help is, is not a crime. And these people shouldn't be penalized or, or punished or denied access to help based on circumstances that are beyond their control. Uh, I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast, if you're out there listening to this, if you're, if you're watching it live or if you watch it later, contact your local lawmakers, contact your, your city councilmen, your congressmen, your senators at the state and the federal level, and tell them that they need to make mental health a priority. We have one psychiatric hospital in this state, one, and it's in Provo, and you have to provide your own transport up there. They have 26 beds for youth for the entire state, they have 26 beds. Eight of those beds are for the five-county area here in Washington County. So if you have a a child that needs help and needs long-term help and those beds are full, then it's on you to find that help. And that hospital is is closed because of lack of funding. It used to be much bigger than it was. When I was in college, I actually worked in the forensic unit of that hospital for, for a short time while I was also working with the police department. And... And they don't have the resources, just like everybody else, just like every other state program. There's not money out there. But it is absolutely a need. Uh, All life is precious. And I I truly hope that if one individual, if if that that family in Enoch could still be here because somebody had been able to get the help that they needed, that's what we want. Uh, I don't like taking people to jail. I don't like taking people to the hospital. I like leaving a situation better than I found it, which is why I put on this uniform every day. That's why I got into this career. I, I don't do it for my ego. I don't do it for my power trip. But there are so many things that I get called to that are out of my 
capability to, to help. I can't make there be more beds. I can't make mental health care more accessible. And I can't make people want to go and change. That's something that they have to do themselves. And that's something that, that I think we as a, as a country could be better at. Yeah, we as a society need to take this seriously uh, and not place a stigma on it every time it's brought up. No. Uh, and that's one thing that I really appreciate about our chief, Chief Whitehead. He's he's very much a proponent of a mental health and making sure that us as law enforcement are receiving the help that we need. Uh, as horrible as it is, this incident that happened in Enoch, for all of us in the public that are watching it, imagine being one of those officers that goes in and, and sees that. Those are the type of things that, that stick with you forever. Yeah. Uh, I, I have very vivid memories of some of the incidents that I've been on, things that that don't go away. That you can deal with them, you can get help, and you can get past it, but those images don't go away. And that's something that, that us as law enforcement need to need to be aware of, and, and our chief is taking very good steps to help us with that. Well, I'd just like to thank you for uh, taking time to share, and you really opened my eyes, and I'm sure all the viewers' eyes out there and ears, to, uh, you know, the the magnitude of the problem. And, you know, we've got a long ways to go before we can get more beds and we really don't want to fill those beds, but at the same time, if we can get people help, that would be great. So thanks for all of you for listening today and taking time. And remember, if you have a loved one or is experiencing a crisis, please call or text 988, which is available 24-7. Thanks for watching. The Reach for Hope Coalition wants you to know that we care about you and we are here to help. If you or someone you know is thinking about suicide, reach out. You're not alone. To access resources for yourself or others, visit our webpage at reachforhopeutah.org. That's reach, the number four, hopeutah.org. If you are experiencing a crisis, please call or text the Suicide Crisis Lifeline at 988 because you matter and there is always hope. This has been a production from a podcast studio.